0: Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to a special edition of Full Measure After Hours, an interview with President Trump. Plus the backstory on how the interview came about, what happened behind the scenes, and me figuring out how to try to get the most information in a short period of time. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. In a few minutes, I'll play unedited portions of my interview with President Trump. But first, since Full Measure After Hours is about taking you a bit behind the story, I'm going to address a few points. How did the interview come about? Well, I think this was my fifth or sixth time interviewing President Trump. Well, really only one time before did I interview him as president. The other times, he was a candidate running for office in 2016. The last time I interviewed him as president was around two years ago, and I've frequently asked for interviews since, but I've been unsuccessful at breaking through until now. By the way, I've also asked for an interview with Joe Biden, and I've been talking to his campaign for a few weeks. I hope they will eventually agree. They say they're considering it. Anyway, why did President Trump finally agree to an interview? What takes place that makes an interview happen? In this case, after two years of it not happening, who knows? I certainly don't. But once they said yes, it's a matter of figuring out the scheduling. And this particular interview was rescheduled a couple of times before it was locked in for Friday, May 22nd at 11 a.m. It's never really locked in, in my mind, until the interview actually begins. I mean, once when President Trump or then-candidate Trump was campaigning— We flew all the way to Wisconsin because he'd agreed to do an interview at a campaign appearance of some sort, and he was literally in the building when he canceled with us. We never saw him, even though we were in the same building with him. We didn't know why he canceled, but he just canceled. So I tend to not count my chickens before they hatch. The day of the interview this time, on Friday, I got up about 4.30 a.m. I live pretty far outside of Washington, D.C., but with... The shutdown and coronavirus traffic's not too bad. I got to the White House ultimately around 7 a.m. to get cleared in through security with my team, which included two producers, David Bernkoff, Daniel Steinberger, you've heard of both of them if you've listened to this podcast before, Um, Brian Barr, my photographer, another photographer, Lee Jenkins, my executive producer, Bat Humphrey. So there were six of us. And we met our White House contacts inside, and we got tested for coronavirus. They said that if we heard nothing in an hour or so, that no news was good news. They did the nose swab in the press room, sort of in an office off to the side. They had two, I guess they were doctors, two medical personnel doing these tests. They test the press corps every day. So from there, we went to the diplomatic room to finish setting up where we had begun setting up, not too far of a walk from the regular press office area. And I had interviewed President Trump in this same room before in the previous interviews, beautiful room. And whenever one interviews any president, as far as I know, they give you a limited period of time. They tell you in advance. In this case, it was going to be 20 minutes, tightly scheduled between other appointments. So the challenge, if you're the reporter, is what to ask out of the hundreds of questions, how to use that time wisely. And I think about what's newsy and current. So I, I don't even decide, you know, all of the questions necessarily before maybe the night before because news is happening and we had set, been set for an interview a couple of weeks earlier that I mentioned had gotten rescheduled. So the whole list of questions, you know, differed because now two weeks have passed, different news has happened. So anyway, you're looking what's newsy and current, and I try to think of questions that will get at information that we haven't already widely heard. You don't want to just ask the same questions he's answered over and over again if possible. I want to talk in 20 minutes about a variety of subjects, not get hung up, discussing one for so long that you don't have time to address anything but that single subject. 20 minutes goes by pretty fast, and that's a main pitfall is you get stuck on one point. President Trump, and if you ever listen to President Obama, who I did interview one time when he was candidate Obama, they tend to give what I consider pretty long answers, meaning they'll easily go on for several minutes in answer to a question, which makes it feel a little less like a conversation sometimes and more like a short question and a long answer or speech. Now, President Trump at a news conference or when he goes a White House briefing and talks to reporters, sometimes he does give short answers, but not so much in interviews. Also in interviews, like a lot of politicians, he answers the question he wants to answer. You may ask one thing and he may refer to it and then bend it around to what he wants to talk about. The temptation, if you're me, if you're a reporter, is to keep on that point if it wasn't directly answered and say, what about this, and ask it again and again. But having observed and interviewed Trump several times, I know that asking the same question or re-asking it over and over again, you're not going to get a different answer. You'll get several minutes of him saying the same thing again or a different version of the same thing. And then you've turned around and spent one quarter of your entire interview on one question, getting no new information if you do that. So I think pretty hard about what's the purpose of the interview. And I'm not saying there's only one way to see it or one way to do it. I can only tell you how I think of it. And I treated President Trump's interview like I treat interviews with other political figures, Democrats and Republicans. Fortunately, on full measure, we have the luxury of some extra time. So this interview is not going to be stuffed and edited down into a minute and a half long piece on the evening news. I really want to hear what the people I interview have to say. And I want to let as much of it as possible play. And I think the audience wants to hear that too. So my goal in this kind of an interview isn't to debate them or transmit to the audience how I feel about them personally. Some people comment, why didn't you stop and interrupt? Or why didn't you follow up and tell him he's wrong or that he's lying? My answer is, if you think he's wrong or he's lying, why do you need me to say so so that you know how I feel? informationally, you already have your opinion. Why do you need me to codify it as part of the interview? Sometimes what I think these people really want is for the interview subject, the president in this case, to be punished or challenged or debated. And my answer to that is you hear that all the time. He spent about 40 hours over six weeks, by my calculation, recently going before the press and doing just that, debating. Day in and day out answering challenging questions over and over again the same thing really in my view not telling us much we weren't learning a lot from these same challenging challenging questions sometimes hostile questions being asked over and over again so what can I do that's different ask questions and listen to the answer and let people form their own opinions the hope is that you're getting information out of this What did President Trump and I talk about off-camera? Not too much this time. He had a lot more people around him when I interviewed him this time than the other times when we've talked. The room was pretty full during the interview. And he had an appointment to rush to right afterwards. He did tell me after the interview that he wished I wouldn't edit his answers very much. And he complained that David Muir of ABC had done just that in a recent interview. Well, there's only a certain amount of time in a broadcast, and then the interview takes its course, and we try to use most of the interview, but it has to be edited if it's longer than the time that you have to fit it into. But he's concerned because his style of answering, if you've listened to him and you've noticed this, he starts in one place and he kind of veers off parenthetically and goes goes to a lot of other places, and then he circles back to where he started. I don't even know how he remembers where he began sometimes, but he does that on purpose. And he said that to me. the The style in which he answers the questions that sounds kind of meandering. He's making a point. He's doing that on purpose. And he explained that when you cut the middle out, or you cut pieces of it out, you lose the essence of what he's trying to say, which isn't fair. And I take his point. So. What I tried to do, and what I do try to do with interviews in general, was to include the stuff that he said that was important without a lot of editing or in full. I used long chunks of his answers to my questions, and when I had to edit, because in the end there was too much material that would fit it, than what would fit in this program, I tried to cut out a few long chunks in whole primarily where it seemed repetitive so that the interview would still have the information and the answers would remain true to their spirit. You can watch the full interview, the video, at fullmeasure.news right now. But here you can listen to a portion of it, the first 15 minutes or so in this podcast, unedited. So here is the largely unedited interview with President Trump. So... Thank you for being on our program. Well, thank you. About four months ago, almost to the day, the first coronavirus victim in the United States was officially diagnosed. Right. How has the country changed since then?
1: Well, there's been a big change. Number one, we had to save millions of lives, which we've done with the shutdown. So we had the greatest economy in our history, we had the greatest economy in world history. No no country has ever done better than what we were doing just a number of months ago. And we had to turn it off to save a lot of lives, which we've done, and now we're opening it up again. And I think we're going to get our economy back fast. We had the best unemployment numbers. We had the best financial numbers, best stock market numbers, the best of everything. And we had to turn it off one day, just like magic. It turned off a horrible thing, the toughest decision of my life. But if we didn't do it, you see what's happening to countries that tried to go the other way. They're losing numbers that are incredible. And we did the right thing, and now we're doing the right thing by getting it going, getting it open. We have to open.
0: Do you think that coronavirus has been as transformative to our country as 9/11 was?
1: Well, I think the concept of 9/11 was uh, it was a little more direct. It was a hit by terrorists, uh, but this is a hit. It came out of China, whether we like it or not. It came out of China. It could have been stopped. It came all over the world, but it didn't really go to China. They stopped their planes going into China, but they didn't stop their planes and their traffic going into the rest of the world, including the United States and Europe. And Europe is decimated, and you look at what happened all over the world, 186 countries. So, uh, no, it's a very terrible thing, and they could have stopped it if they wanted to. They could have stopped it. Either it was incompetent or they didn't want to. Both are not very acceptable, by the way.
0: A Columbia University analysis said that had the lockdown or social distancing happened sooner, the analysis said almost all of the lives that have been lost could have been saved. And then a New York Times reporter issued a tweet that implied you are culpable for those deaths.
1: You know, it's a disgrace what I watch from this uh, fake news media and from some of these liberal institutions. Columbia is a liberal, disgraceful institution to write that because all the people that they cater to were months after me. They said, we shouldn't close it. I took tremendous heat. You know this. When I banned China from coming in, first time anything like that ever happened, I took tremendous heat, tremendous, like a level that I've never seen anything like it. And that went on for months. They were criticizing me. Uh, Sleepy Joe Biden said, I'm xenophobic, meaning I don't like people, certain people. And uh, other people said, as bad as that or worse. And that was in January. And I saw that report. It's a disgrace that Columbia University would do it, playing right to their uh, little group of people to tell them what to do. Uh, how sad. So we're at the lowest level of, uh, if you look at the models, and I'm not a big fan of models, but they said 120,000 to 220,000, 250,000, a minimum if we shut down. And after that, it could go to a million five. It could go to two and a half million. So we're going to be hopefully lower than their lowest number and the lowest projection, only because I did close it down. Tony Fauci said I saved tens of thousands of lives by banning China from coming in. Now, they went other places. They didn't come here. We took our own citizens back, which obviously we had to. But to have Colombia do that is a disgrace. I'm not a big fan of that school, not at all.
0: Can you take us to the moment when you remember first hearing about the highest projections? We're talking millions. And we had not been told that yet in the public, but I assume you were told that first. Were you thinking, how is this to be believed? Was it startling and frightening? Uh,
1: So I was hearing millions of people, and it would have been millions of people if we didn't shut down Now would I shut it down again? No, because I, you know, we understand it now much better. We didn't know anything about it. It was you mean you would not have,
0: in retrospect, shut down the. I would have done
1: exactly. We've done the exact moves that I would have done, and I did it early. The opposite of this Columbia bunch of fakers, Uh, I did it early. I actually did it very early, Uh, but as Columbia. Are you covering the fact that the nursing homes were so badly run in New York and uh, so many people died because there you have a nice liberal guy running it? Did Columbia do that? No, they didn't do that. They don't talk about the thousands of lives that were uh, hurt, ended, ruined, and families ruined in nursing homes. They don't talk about that. They said early, I was so early, my band was so early, that almost a month later Nancy Pelosi was telling everybody let's go to Chinatown because she wanted to prove there was no problem. Let's go to Chinatown and dance in the streets. Uh, Schumer in March. All of these politicians, much later than my band, they thought I was crazy. We had a room of 21 people out of the 21 21 people in this room, in the Oval Office, nice room, beautiful oval shape, beautiful. And I said, we got to close it down. And of the 21 people, I was the only one that wanted to do it. And then I have to listen to a report from Columbia. And all of their people, everybody in Columbia, and if you look back at the statements made by people from Columbia University, they thought I was crazy closing it down. I was early and then I have to listen to a report like that. It's, uh, they ought to be ashamed of themselves.
0: To be clear, you're not saying you would not have closed down in retrospect. You're saying
1: you would not do it in the future again? Oh, no, no, I would only have done exactly what I did. Again, Tony Fauci, uh, Dr. Burks, they all said what I did was incredible in retrospect. Uh, Tony, as you know, never thought it was going to be as severe as it was, and, and we're talking about months later, a long time after I did the ban. I did a ban, and nobody thought I should do it. I mean, literally, I don't think anybody thought I should do it. I made that decision by myself, and it turned out to be a great decision. Hundreds of thousands of lives are saved. So now, on top of that, with all of the Democrats and the liberals saying what I did is a mistake, with Biden coming out and calling me xenophobic and other things, it was a big mistake. By the way, he admitted he was wrong. He admitted he was wrong. So now Columbia said I should have done it a week earlier. Honestly, it's a disgrace.
0: Talking about reopening, there are churches and religious leaders in New Jersey, Chicago, California, who have said they're going to defy, if necessary, state orders, and they're going to open back up. Should they do that?
1: Uh, I think they're going to be in great shape. Uh, we're coming out with CDC probably today. In fact, right after this particular magnificent interview that you're doing, I'm going someplace else. I'm going to be reading an order from CDC, but we're going to be requesting that they open. I think they're going to be calling it an essential service, and it is an essential service, and we want to get our churches back open. Uh, Everything, we've had such support from, and, and the churches have supported, but it is an essential service. When you look at some of the things that they consider an essential service, but they don't consider religious freedom essential service. Now, the ministers, the pastors, the rabbis, the, anybody you want to say, the religious leaders, all religious leaders, they want to keep their people safe too. But when you see that they're arresting people and they're in parking lots in cars with windows closed and the people are being arrested, it's a disgrace. Honestly, it's a disgrace. So I think CDC is going to be coming out with a ruling. I've been working on that one specifically, and I think it's going to take place very soon, in fact, very, very soon after this interview.
0: Many people are taking the government guidance on the anti-malaria drug hydroxychloroquine to basically ward them off of using it and trying it. On the other hand, there are current experiments going on by National Institutes of Health and academic institutions, including for preventive uses, possibly, you're finishing your two week course of hydroxychloroquine, I Just finished, yeah. Okay.
1: By the way, I'm still here, yes, to you the are. best of my knowledge. Here I am.
0: But is that mixed messages when even scientists say they feel that the government is telling them, or telling people at least, to be very careful and not use this while the President of the United States is using it and while researchers are studying it actively?
1: Well, I've heard tremendous reports about it. Frankly, I've heard tremendous reports. Many people think it saved their lives. Uh, Doctors come out with reports. You had a study in France, you had a study in Italy that were incredible studies. Uh, Look, if somebody else were promoting it other than me, call it a promotion because I want people to get better. I don't get anything, I don't gain anything other than if it's something that helps, that's a good thing. That's what I want, that's all I want. I believe in it enough that I took a program because I had Two people in the White House that tested positive. I figured maybe it's a good thing to take a program. You know, we take a little bit of a a period of time. I think it was two weeks. But hydroxy has had tremendous, if you look at it, tremendous rave reviews. If it were somebody else other than me, these phony reports would have, like the VA, they come out with a report. These are the anti-Trump. You know, I got a lot of things done at the VA. The VA, nobody's ever done what I've done for the veterans. I got choice. I got accountability. Accountability means you could fire somebody if they treat our veterans badly. You could fire Before, you couldn't do it. And I got veteran's choice, where they can go and get a doctor, a local doctor, if they have to wait online. They've been trying to do these things for 50 years, Cheryl, 50 years, and I got it done. And I'm very proud of it. But there are people in there that don't like that I got it done. So they do a veterans thing where they give it to people that are dying. They're giving the hydroxy to people that are dying and almost dead. And then they said, oh, it causes death. No, no, you take it early. I felt very good. In the meantime, I te- I'm tested a lot. You know, they have, that's another thing. We've done great testing, incredible testing, and we've developed tests. We had nothing. The cupboard was bare. Obama, Biden left us a mess. Hey, look, I'm only here because of people like Biden. If Biden didn't exist, I probably wouldn't be here. I'm here because people were very unhappy with the past administration. The military was horrible. It was all depleted and messed up. And all of our medical, all of our cupboards were bare. And we filled them up, and now we're the king of ventilators, which everyone said was an incredible job. Uh, We're the king of testing. We did 14 million tests. The next country is Germany at three. South Korea at two and a half. We did 14 million tests, and the leaders of countries are calling me up saying, how did you do that? It's incredible. But they're also calling me up because they'd like us to help them with ventilators, because it's a bit, you know, to make a ventilator is a big deal. And we're making them by the thousands a week. We're going to have probably 7,000 made this week. We don't need them anymore. We're full. Uh, we have uh, 100,000 extra, and we're going to start sending them now to other countries that desperately need them.
0: I did a little calculation from March 13th to April 23rd in slightly less than six weeks. I counted about 41 and a half hours of you talking to the media, talking to the public, taking questions. And at least in recent times, modern history, I can't think of a president that has had the opportunity or taken the opportunity to do such a thing. Why did you decide to do that and was that time well spent?
1: Well, I think it was. I certainly got the highest ratings uh, on cable television by a lot. I mean, you saw that. And I get to the public, look, the news is very corrupt. It's very, very dishonest. I've never seen anything like it. I always knew it, but I never knew to this extent. Anything I say, anything I do is never good enough. We've done ventilators. They were going after me for ventilators. They thought they had us. Number one, the states are supposed to get their own ventilators. There are states that could have bought ventilators, they didn't do it, so they got in trouble. I have made a lot of doctors look very good, but I've made a lot of, more than anything else, I've made, I have taken governors who have done a lousy job and made them look great, and they're very popular within their state. I've I've made a lot of people look good, to be honest with you, but they will never say anything good about me. So by going out and talking, at least the people here, like for instance, doing this interview, At least they hear my point of view, because the press won't write it. It's really a corrupt media. It's beyond, you know, I I call it fake media, and it is, it's fake news. And not all of it, you have some great journalists, you understand that, you're one of them. But you have such, you have such corruption. It's unbelievable. They will take a story, and, and that should be a good story, and make it horrible. It's not even making it neutral, they'll make it horrible. Like polls, I saw we had a great poll at CNBC, Nobody put it out. We had a great poll uh, two days ago from, of all places, CNN. CNN hardly used it. They were upset with it. Fox is terrible. Fox, uh, you know, everyone thinks Fox. Fox is so bad to me. They have these people that are Schumer people. They hired Donna Brazil. She got fired from CNN. Fox hired Donna Brazil. She gave Hillary Clinton, uh, Clinton the crooked Hillary, they gave Hillary the answers and the questions to the debate. I mean, Donna Brazil. she gets fired. She got interviewed by Megyn Kelly, who was probably the most, the most, the worst interview I think I've ever seen. And Fox hires her. They have a guy named Chris Hahn, he's a Schumerite. They have somebody, uh, Richard Goodstein, or whatever his name is, Juan Williams. He was He's not a smart guy, Juan Williams, but they're now giving him the Democrat talking points. And they have great people on Fox too, Sean Hannity, and so many great people. Laura's doing great, uh, Fox and Friends is great. We have a lot of great people. But when they have people like Hahn and Goodstein and Donna Brazil and all these people, Neil Cavuto is a horror show. When they have people like this, it nullifies. The other side is 100% unified. CNN, 100% negative. And I'm telling you, people don't like Fox. They don't like what's happening with Fox. Fox is a much different place than it was a number of years ago.
0: That was my interview with President Trump at the White House on Friday, May 22nd. There is more to the interview, and you may want to check after you listen to this to see if it's posted, too, as part of a full-measure after-hours podcast. The fact is I was having trouble uploading the whole thing in one file and I'm breaking it up into pieces and it still wouldn't take the second half. So the first half is on here now and I will get some technical help to upload the second half as soon as possible so you can hear the rest of it. I hope you enjoyed part one. If you do like my podcasts, I promise you will love my new book that's coming out. It's called slanted how the news media taught us to love censorship and hate journalism you can support independent journalism and pre-order slanted anywhere do your own research make up your own mind think for yourself